to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. In each episode, we'll be exploring the complexity and nuance created with fabric and thread. I'm Susan Brubaker Knapp. And I'm Vivica Hansen Denegri. Today, Susan, we're going to talk about a subject that's really near and dear to my heart how artists evolve and they change over time in response to the world around them either because of the situations in their lives or because of what's going on in the world and how their personal um, personal aesthetic changes or their personal interest changes. So things that are just really important because as artists, we don't remain the same. I know that I'm so different than I was 20 or 30 years ago, thank goodness. And what I make is really, really different. And so we'll be talking with this amazing artist that we've had on Quilting Arts TV and as part of our Quilting Arts and Cloth Paper Scissors editorial team um, over the last 15 or so years. And that's Leslie Riley. So I'm really excited about this episode. Episode. Me too. Love Leslie, and it'll be really fun to t- touch base with her because I haven't talked to her in a while. I know. I feel like I haven't talked to a lot of people in a while. <laughs> I don't know about you. That's the way it is right now. Exactly. Exactly. Well, before we get started, I just did want to check in a little bit with you. How have you been doing? We haven't really chatted since the last podcast recording a couple of weeks ago. I'm good. I've actually started making some art again. I think for a long time I was really paralyzed and dealing with a lot of, um, you know, family concerns and just the everyday, how do you get through quarantine and the new reality? And um, lately I've just started making some new work. And part of that is because of the protests that are going on right now and the things that are happening um, in current events that are making me really think and feel about things strongly and feel like I need to make some work um, that addresses those. So it has pushed me, kicked me in the rear end a little bit. And um, I'm excited to be making some meaningful work. How about you? Well, meaningful work hasn't really been in my studio in the last (laughs) couple of weeks. Um, You know, I think we all respond to these things very, very differently. I've been Mm. doing a lot of soul searching, a lot of research. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. I've been doing as much reading as I possibly can in my free time and really examining my personal role in um, how I need to be looking at what's happening in the world around me from the protests to um, how I can help the organizations that I'm part of and the business that I'm part of respond appropriately and create some real meaningful change. So there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of thinking to be done. It's, um, it's, it's crazy. I, I hope that in the end we'll get to a better place, but we've all got a lot of um, stuff to process and work on. Right. And, you know, my whole thought about it, too, is that any kind of change that I can be a part of helping to create, I don't want it to last until next Tuesday. I want it to be something that is meaningful and long lasting and really makes an impact. So that's deep thinking. That's deep work. And it hasn't made its way into what I'm stitching, unfortunately, yet. yet. It probably will. But I know it will. Yeah. I know it will. And, um, I was on a a board meeting actually yesterday with an organization and um, I'm, I'm excited by some of the things that I'm seeing coming out through organizations like Sakwa and the Modern Quilt Guild. I'm excited to see that we all are opening our minds a little bit and it's hard. It's really hard to do that, Mm -hmm. but 
you know, but there's so many possibilities that come out of it too. And new, um, I think there'll be new exhibitions and it's going to be exciting to see the response to it. Right. Right. And you just posted a few images on, um, I believe it was Instagram Mm -hmm. earlier today and the colors are beautiful. There's no reason that this artwork can't be beautiful and meaningful and deep at the same time, which is something that I really like about art quilts. They don't have to be heavy, but they are often heavy mm-hmm. in their content and what they mean, whether they're beautiful or not. So, well, you very, know very me, I, I love the bright saturated colors. So even if I'm dealing with something heavy, I've got to, got to, <laughs> I don't think I can go with browns and, and dark colors and, you know, beiges. So yeah. You know, it always amazes me. You always go with blue. I, yeah, I think like, of you as blue. That's the go-to color. Yeah. Well, I'm orange. Just I saying. love orange too. Well, we compliment one another, don't we? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we, we sure do. And then the other stuff that we have going on, of course, is that we are taping in mid-June. And right after we finish taping, I have to go and get ready to go to my youngest high school graduation. So Wow. Big milestone. Yeah. It's a huge yeah. milestone and, and my, so different than his brothers and sisters' um, milestone graduations. This is a, a very different time to be living in. Yeah. I have my younger daughter is moving out into her own house shared with uh, six other girls today. So there will be lots of weeping, I'm sure, very soon. <laughs> well, it will be in stereo between you and <laughs> in uh, North Carolina and me in Connecticut. We're going to have stereo weeping going on. Yeah. It already well, started this morning. I'm no. like, I'm such a... <laughs> The waterworks go, you know. Well, and it's it's so much harder because they're going out into this unknown world where there's so many different variables than there were before and so many more dangers and risks and, you know, worrying about how they're going to navigate it. It's it's totally different than a normal kid leaving home. So, But our um, children are smart, Susan. Our children are well-prepared. They have really good examples at home between you and your husband and me and my husband of staying. <laughs> I, I do good think examples. so. Yes. yes. I, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to own that one. I'm a good example. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, they see us juggle a whole lot of things and, and uh, despite having to juggle all those different things, um, you know, it all seems to, to come up on top. Yeah. So. Yeah. We'll hope it all works out and there's nothing you can't control it. You just, you know, we have to, to a certain extent, let go of that and just hope for the best. I am so excited to uh, pull Leslie in for so many different reasons, but let's take a very quick break and then come back and, and introduce Leslie and have her come into our conversation. You know, today's podcast is all about um, talking about how art changes. And this is someone who I'm so excited to bring in just for that reason. Yeah, be great talking to her. So today's artist in residence is Leslie Riley. Leslie is a renowned fiber artist and a real innovator who's worked in the field of um, quilting and creativity for more than 20 years. She has a really varied career, not only as a maker and an artist, but she's also a teacher. She's a creativity coach. She's invented an amazing product that many of us have in our studios. She's even been an editor, and you might not know this. She was a guest editor for some time for the um, Cloth Paper Scissors magazine that used to be 
created um, as a sister publication to Quilting Arts. But basically, you name it, she's done it. Leslie's focus is on motivating, inspiring, and empowering her students to take creative life into their own hands and to express their creativity with a truly unique voice. So Susan and I wanted to talk to her today because of that variety and interest and precisely because she has really reinvented herself and her art and her business. And she has shown that an artist can truly evolve in really interesting ways over the years. Welcome, Leslie. We're so excited to have you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Well, I wanted to start by asking you to share your path to becoming an artist, because I read on your website, you said you had a big breakthrough in the year 2000, and that you discovered the secret you've been seeking could not be found in classes or in books. So tell me a little bit about that. You haven't always been an artist, or you were an artist, but didn't really think of yourself that way. Right. I didn't think of myself that way because when I was growing up and all the exposure I'd had to art was, you know, the National Gallery of Art and drawing and painting. And I didn't draw very well. It wasn't as realistic as I wanted it to be or thought it should be. So I just never thought I had the skill or talent to be an artist. So I just kind of set it aside. But I was always making stuff. I did. Um, I, I would get old trunks back in the '70s and paint those. The outside of those, I've done macrame. I've done, you know, let's just say you name it, I've done it except <laughs> for pottery. But um, it was when my first son was pregnant with him, and at the same time, the quilting revival was coming back. It was 1970, 71, and I had a good friend and mentor, actually, my quilting mentor. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, she took me to the one place where you could get actual calico cottons, because that was, it was the time of polyester. That was Mm -hmm. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I started making some baby quilts for him. But also, she suggested I take some to a consignment shop and all. So that's when my love of fabric and my ability, you know, my mother had bought me a sewing machine when I was in maybe, I don't know what grade, but around 12 years old. So I learned how to use a sewing machine and then did the applique with um, and the piecing on the machine. So that was my first foray into fabric. And had in between, that's 1970s and the year 2000, I was, well, let's just face it, I had six children. So I was buried <laughs> in motherhood and just watching and taking care of them didn't have the time for myself or the space Mm -hmm. you know they take up a lot of space too so I just did a lot of reading took a lot of classes but didn't really do much of anything and um, you were doing what I think called gestating Gestating. You're creative creative gestating. Six times kids. But you were doing creative gestating too during that time. Yes. And I always said to myself, you know, I'm just acquiring the knowledge and the skills to so that when I had time, I could just hit the ground running. And that's kind of what I did. But at the same time, I was never that confident of what I was doing. And one day, oh gosh. It was before the big breakthrough, but I just sat there and I said, what is it I love about other people's work 
that I would like to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And I said, I love fabric. I love photos, which I'd been collecting since probably high school, but not knowing why. Yeah, I was just drawn to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then quotes I'd been collecting since I was a child. So those three things, I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to work with. And this was before the home color printers. So I would have to go to the copy shop and get them to put a photo onto fabric for me. And that would do that. Wow. They would do it, but it was that like plasticky coating that like Mm t-shirts, you know, but I took my own fabric, my own photos in and they did that for me, but it was, you know, well, at the time it was great because it was all that I knew. And then um, we got the inkjet printer. And technology caught up to me. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you had the tools to do what you yes. envisioned. Yeah. Yeah. So um, then I started printing directly onto fabric. There used to be a couple of wonderful companies that pre-treated the fabric, but I also used the product that many, many people will know the name of Bubble Jet Set. Right. And um, I couldn't make that fast enough because I started... When I started making these little collages with fabric photos and quotes that I called fragments, I just, I was on a roll. And what I really realized at that time, the breakthrough was that you can't arrive at something by thinking about it. Like what, what should I do? (laughs) And then, and then prepare for it and wait till the time is perfect. You just have to dive in. And that was a big lesson for me because over the last 20 years, if you notice, I've dived into a lot of stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> so having just having that um, that awareness that, you know, you just jump in and start and figure then, it out when you are already yeah. in the water. You've right, jumped because, in. Right. right. And the mm-hmm. answers come when you're doing mm-hmm. so. So what yeah. what sort of sticks out to me is like during those early years, probably even until maybe, maybe it was like the first 10 or 12 years of that time between 2000 and 2012, I could see a fragment collage and know that it was a Leslie Riley. Even if it was a student who had learned from you or whatever, your style was so specific. And I remember it had to have been early, like 2008 or something. There were articles that you wrote for Cloth Paper Scissors magazine with like 20 different ways to get an image onto fabric. (laughs) And I actually, I think I cut those out of the magazines and I felt horrible cutting up my favorite magazine because that was between that and quilting arts, you know, (laughs) I didn't get anything else. So that may be Newsweek for a while, but, um, so I actually cut those out because they were so interesting because there were so many different ways to achieve what you were trying to do. And each one had a different effect. Like you could use gel medium to transfer. And, you know, I I remember all of these different things. And I also bought the bubble jet set and it's, it wasn't really fun to use, but it worked. And didn't you write a book about this as well? Um, let's see, I've written a few books. Um, let's jump back a few years. Excuse me. Um, the first book I wrote was be, was Quilted Memories, and that was 
because a publisher had found me because I put those fragments, I built myself a website and put those fragments online. And the publisher asked me to write a book about scrapbook quilts or quilted memories and things like that. And that kind of opened the door for a lot of things too. And then um, around 2008, I think that's what you said, uh, I discovered and worked with a paper manufacturer to um, create a paper where you could do iron-on transfers. And, you know, it's funny because initially I just said, I don't want to do that because I like I like natural materials. And this paper has a polymer coating on top that transfers the ink when you iron it. But to me, that was like, it wasn't a natural material. <laughs> I had the, I love, same, yeah. the same reaction too when I went from traditional quilts to art quilts. I'm like, and even uh, just using things like um, fusible adhesive seemed really wrong to me because I, I was that same way because coming from a traditional quilting background. Yeah. How quickly we stop being purists though and realize <laughs> that it's art. I still only use natural fibers though. Yeah. yeah. I have yeah, I use But if the you find other something stuff. that works, you find a process that works and it looks good, then you're like, oh, I think I can live right. with that polymer. <laughs> right. So anyway, because I was so into and I was known as the queen of transfers at one point, I'm not a name I gave myself, but um I, when I really started using this paper, it took me a year to decide, but I decided that I would share it with, you know, my followers and the public. And um, I called it transfer artist paper because I wanted it to be something that an artist would use, not just, um, you know, used for craft purposes. I wanted to elevate it a bit. I know that sounds weird, but anyway, and and I like to come up with little short things like transfer artist paper equals TAP. So it's tap. So (laughs) the method behind my madness. Um, So I started selling that at home, out of my home as a little cottage industry, counting up five sheets at a time, sticking them in the plastic and mailing them out. And um, then my publisher asked me if I'd like to write a book about the transfer artist paper process. And I did that. And then they asked me if they could distribute the paper for me. And that was such a blessing to have somebody, you know, take that over. Somebody for else me. counting five sheets at a time. Yes. And, <laughs> and storing it too. Yes. And, right. and having a wider reach mm-hmm. too. That's the nice part. So it went from the cottage industry. And even then I was shipping to Australia and England myself. But, um, you know, now it's available in many, many more places than I could have ever gotten it into myself. So, and then there was a manufacturing issue and it disappeared for a while. And at that time I kind of felt a little lost because if I couldn't put a photo onto fabric, I didn't know where my voice was or what, what did I wanted to say. I remember hearing about that happening and thinking, oh, my gosh, what's (laughs) going to happen? Because a lot of your classes, weren't you supposed to teach in New Zealand the year, one of the years that I taught there and you couldn't because the product wasn't available? And how did that, did that change the whole path of your work and your career? I would say it, um, 
you know, it was actually kind of a, a blessing in disguise because mm-hmm. when you, I'm, for me, I'll speak for me, not when you, but doing something that long and that many years, it became so easy and comfortable <clears throat> that I was kind of bored, not with sharing the process, but doing it myself. And having that taken away from me for a while gave me the opportunity to explore new things and just see where my, you know, where my interest and heart led me. And um, that's how I got into the eco printing and then the cyanotype printing and doing all the botanical work. And that work is so gorgeous. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that? Why? And did your move to your more woodland setting influence that? Yes, it did, Susan. <laughs> um, that and and turning, I think it was, how old am I now? I won't say, but I was having, <laughs> it was a birthday coming up. Did it have and, a zero at the end of it? Because that's usually what does it. Sure. Or a five. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> zero and a five. Yeah. Um, so it was the fall. And it was the first year in my house here in the woods, surrounded by woods, um, I don't know, four acres of privacy. Mm. It was just, that kind of changed my life too. Just having, and no kids, you know, I was, everything from my past was back there and I was able to start fresh, start anew. And I I um, contacted a woman that wasn't too far from me about taking an eco printing class, which is direct printing of leaves onto natural fibers mm-hmm. by steam or, or boiling. And I took that class and enjoyed that, did a lot of that. But as um, I think it was mentioned earlier, somehow the browns weren't my favorite thing. I'm a color person. <laughs> and a lot of the eco printing is, you know, the browns and neutral tones. Now it's gotten a lot more variety, but I um I don't even know where or how I discovered this cyanotype process. I was aware of sun print- printing and blueprints, but I like blue a lot better than I like brown, so mm-hmm. I thought I'd try that. And I was more interested in what's called wet cyanotype, which is adding water to the paper before you set it outside, and it kind of messes with the chemical um, composition and moves it around and creates really interesting things. And I, I've always, I'm not a straight laced person. I like to break the rules, the the legal rules. <laughs> <laughs> but you get you get a more painterly effect. I would call it. Yeah, watercolor yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it's serendipitous. You don't know. It's like heat, temperature, the paper you're using, um, the water supply the age of the leaf, all of these are factors that you you have some control over some, but you just never know what you're going to get. And I love that about it. And I've since I started doing that maybe three years ago, I've learned how to or what to do with a print that I don't really like. I have um, come up with ways to change it up, make it better, make it different or use it in other ways. So even the ones that I go like, oh, that was a dud. It's not. You can fix it. You can do something else to it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so is and this so, all on paper or is it also on fabric? It's also on fabric. Yeah. I I started working on paper just because it was uh, easier to do the cleanup and the rinse and all that. 
I get lazy sometimes. I just want, you know, immediate results. <laughs> um, but it's so beautiful on fabric. And I believe on Quilting Arts TV show, we did have the fabric there. And the silks, the wools, oh, it's just gorgeous. It and is. So this and also has led you into this new fabric line that looks like those wet cyanotypes, right? Yes, yes. Um, someone referred me to their sales rep for Northcott Fabrics and the head designer up there. I say up there, she's in Canada. Um, <laughs> she said, I didn't bat an eyelash. I just said immediately, we want this for fabric. And there's, you know, of course, fabric has to be repeatable and you have to have, um, be able to create yardage from it. So there's a difference between the little five by sevens, eight by tens that I do, and then how we make a repeat. But I think it stayed pretty, um, pretty, what's the good word? True. Yes. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Pretty true to uh, my vision and what I create when I do the the digital alterations of the cyanotypes. And that's a whole another field. Yeah, but it also allows you to have different colors. And like you said, you're a color person. So you can print it in orange, green, blue, brown, gray, if you really wanted gray. (laughs) And, you know, it allows that ability to have a full complement of colors, which is amazing. Right, right. And And you see your name on that on the uh, salvage <laughs> edge, which must be quite a high. It was, it was, well, it's, it was even more of a high because um, I guess they're, they're making it right now because it will be in the stores um, in September, but they did send me, I asked them if they could send me sunlight I could use in my next book that's coming out also next spring. And they sent me a few yards of, of, you know, I try not to be greedy, and I said I'll just take these four or five um, pieces from the line. So they sent me some, but I never like opened it up and looked for the salvage because I knew it was a pre-run thing. But I just chanced upon it one day, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, look!" <laughs> well, it's so beautiful. I'm really excited Thanks. about it. It has such like mystery to it, I think, because of the process and maybe the the areas where it's darker and then those magical purples and oranges and it looks very magical to me. It yeah, well the whole to me the whole um the possibility and and what has come of it has been magical to me. Everything yeah. Everything in my career has kind of been magical, but as many people will say, there's a lot of hard work behind that, a lot of risk, a lot of um, courage, and, but I just, I don't know, I just, I've learned over the years that if it feels right, go for it, give it, you know, what you, all you've got, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but then that leaves you space for the next thing that comes to be. And being creative, the more creative you are, the more you're actively creative, not just sitting there dreaming, um, the more stuff you'll come up with. And I, you know, you guys, you women have (laughs) spoken of being unable to create during this time period. And I don't know if it's because I just came off writing a book when all of this hit, but 
I haven't stopped creating the whole, you know, during this whole period of months. And I just, I think there's a lot of things that play into that, but um, I just, like, I'm like, part of me says, you're just getting started. And the other part of me says, this is the best time of my life. And <laughs> I don't know, but I'm having yeah. a great time. You know, our last guest was Lyric Montgomery Kennard, and she actually said something that has, uh, it's really stayed with me since we spoke, which was about two weeks ago. And, and she said something about your hands have to be active. And if your creativity comes to you and your hands are active, it's going to flow right out of you. I'm totally, uh, I'm sure that she's going to call me back and say, that wasn't the quote, you know. <laughs> but that's what that's it meant gist. to me. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. That's what it meant to me. And it, and it was really such a good point because if you're not creative, your creativity won't find you when you're being, you know, when you're doing something. So right. like, um, I think that's, that's one of those interesting things. But one thing about you that has always fascinated me is that you have an ability to inspire your students as a creativity coach too, and to help them find that creativity that's really there and that is their own style. And, you know, you sort of help that come to the surface. And I find that interesting because, you know, you started being more creative when your kids got a little bit older. And okay, I'm going to admit this, my kid's graduating today. So I'm <laughs> hoping I have after 23 first days of school, just saying, after 23, I am hoping that I have a little bit more creative time. That's like the only positive thing about, you know, my youngest one going off to college soon. But, um, you know, that's, that's a gift to be able to help other people find that creativity within themselves. Thank you for saying that. And that just brought to mind because I felt that I came to this so late in life, you know, <laughs> um, in my forties, my later forties. Um, one of the first things I said to myself was what if I had never discovered my own creativity, my, you know, really embraced it and discovered it and found my voice. What if that had never happened? And my next thought was, I have to let other women know that it's not too late and <laughs> it's, it's there, you know, you just have to give it a chance. And I don't know which, which is more important to me to, is for creating my own work or helping others create theirs. But it, I guess they go hand in hand. But, you know, I, it was always more important to me to get the message out than it was to um, you know, sit back and create a body of work. But it's funny, one of the first things I did with the fragments, I, I use, I would make the fragments and I package them with an insert that, you know, says, you know, do with this, what you want to, you know, turn it into clothing, whatever it's, um, my jumping, you know, it's a jumping off point for you, how you want to use it. And then I would write a little, um, little words of wisdom down at the bottom, just something mm -hmm. that might relate to the quote on the front. And I was thinking at the time, like, if I don't give them something to look at, they're never going to read what I have to say. So I think that's <laughs> why I make art. 
That's like Instagram, isn't it? Instagram, (laughs) if you don't put a picture up there, nobody's going to look. Right, right. So I guess I've been following that for the last 20 years is give them something to look at. And hopefully they'll listen to you too. Well, I know you do these wonderful <laughs> retreats, the Red Thread retreats. And I, because yes. I've looked at your website and thought, oh, I would love to do that. And the quote or the testimonials by some of the people, some of your students are so powerful. I mean, it doesn't just sound mm-hmm. like you're teaching them techniques. You're teaching them how to be creative and the connection between people at those retreats that creates that, those vibrations of creativity. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, that was another birthday moment. I had been looking for a place to have a retreat that felt like home. Like we were all just sitting around, you know, it was a sleepover or something and went out to, and saw this place on my birthday. And, um, I said, this is it, you know, because I've been looking for years and set the first one up. I invited two of my closest friends because um, I knew they had both had large followings so I could get the retreat to fill. But also that, you know, they would be understanding if it didn't go very well. <laughs> and that first one was magical. It was perfect, except, you know, we've all even forgotten about the fact that there was a hurricane coming and we decided to end it a day early so people could get home before the hurricane hit and that was um the one that hit sandy point up in new york you know that big right i don't know what year that was but anyway so it was magical except for that fact but then the next one i'm like it'll never meet that standard and it did and each one i'm always like this is going to be the one where something's going to go wrong Never has. I think we're on 12 now. And you have and people who've come to like every one. Yes. That's incredible. There's at least half of the people there every time are returning people. Wow. I mean, they're family. They're now lifelong friends, a lot of the people, because mm-hmm. there's, it is home. It's like you just come home. I mean, you come in there and you feel like you've come home and you're with your friends. Even the people who come for the first time are embraced and comfortable and it's just everything you would want a gathering to be and you just you know you can I I always say you know if you need to go off during class or just you know be alone I get it do that you know and everyone's free to be themselves it doesn't hurt that there's the retreat owner is also a licensed massage therapist (laughs) (laughs) and she prepares all our meals um you know, with the cheap, all diets and fresh, healthy food and all that stuff. So it's just, it's perfection. And I'm really sad. And so are most of my participants that we couldn't do it this May. It's always Mm -hmm. in May and October and didn't happen. Well, I think they'll be back because the loyalty is obviously there. Um, One (laughs) thing I've noticed, I've learned through my years of teaching is that so much of teaching a a creative technique or process has to do with figuring out the psychology of your students, figuring out what's getting in the way of them reaching their full potential creatively. And usually it's some kind of block and there's something going on, but it has more to do with what's in their brain and their, um, their emotions than it does with their skills. 
And so you must have some good skills to help them get through those blocks, right? If people are trusting you that much and being vulnerable in your classes and coming out feeling like Leslie has helped me to be more creative. Probably because I raised six children (laughs) or four of them being girls. Um, I think if you can get four girls through their teenage years, you should be able to to help mature women get through a blank piece of paper. (laughs) But no, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not, um, they say, you know, I'm like Buddha and I'm so calm and laid back. And I said, boy, if they could only get into my brain and see all the, the chatter and wheels going on. But, um, you know, nothing, there isn't anything that can't be overcome or, or, you know, there's, well, there's no mistakes in art, first of all, but it's so important that they just trust themselves instead of trying to do the work that their neighbor's doing or that the teacher did. Just start where you are and and do what feels right to you. And then I can come along. It's my job to come and say, that's really great. You might notice that, you know, this, you know, and talk about a little bit about composition and stuff, because I think a lot of art, it's really boils down to two things. And that's the the emotion and the beingness of the artist, but also composition. Mm. And pretty much if you've got that framework, you can throw anything on that, that you're, that comes, you know, from your head and your hands and your heart, and it'll look great because it's on the right framework. And I think if you put those two together, that's a great point about composition, because I find that a lot of the art cultures that I admire their work the most come from a graphic design background and that is really strong in design and composition skills you know as we're talking about the evolution of artists it's it's always sort of cool to think about other artists and other genres to pull into and i'm going to apologize right now because you're always going to be hearing about my favorites in this podcast so (laughs) two favorites of of artists from other genres who have had to change the way that they do their art and evolve because of real situational problems is the, um, first of all, the artists like Matisse who had to move to paper and cutting paper because he could no longer hold the brush and, and do what he wanted to do with paint and the amazing cut paperwork that he Mm -hmm. came up with after this challenge in his life was just incredible. But if you also look at contemporary art, I can't help but go to Chuck Close, who was also a painter, and he actually went to the Yale School of Art, so like really close to where I am, and he taught there for a little while. He was an incredible guy with an enormous following, and then he had like, it was almost like a lightning strike where he just absolutely was so close to death and ended up in a wheelchair and could no longer be a a painter in the same right. But he immediately changed what he did after, you know, going through months of therapy and all of these things to try to be able to do something creative again. The artwork that he has done after that horrible health experience is astounding. And if if nothing else, he's better known as an artist for what he has done after tragedy and after, you know, a major event, the evolution of his portraiture and of just how he has just 
risen above everything is just incredible. But, um, you know, I also see that same kind of creativity in you, Leslie, that you started with fragments. You're now doing wet cyanotype, two very different things. I can still tell it's Leslie, which I just think is amazing. A 20-year evolution in where you started and where you've become, I can still tell that it's you. It's still imbued with beautiful, thoughtful content. It's often has a quote somewhere with it. You know, it's just incredible. Really Thank you neat. so much for saying that. And if we have time, I just want to tell you about what I'm doing, what I'm beginning to do right now, because it plays into what you just said. But um, I guess it was two years ago when there was no way to transfer, I mean, ways that I like to transfer <laughs> photos to fabric when tap was off the market. Um, and I was doing the cyanotype, I had this idea that I would go around to all these Civil War battlefields that just ring where I live. I mean, I, there's more than I can count. Um, and get leaves, gather them from the ground, because you can't pick leaves on national parkland. <laughs> um, but gather them from the ground and then do cyanotype on fabric and do some sort of work with that to commemorate and honor the civil war. And then I set that aside. Um, and then tap came back and I started working with that again. And I was walking down my driveway a couple months ago, two or three, well, at the beginning of the quarantine. And I was just thinking how in some ways, the quarantine was like it must have been back in the Civil War when the wives were home alone holding down the fort and families couldn't see each other and people were dying and and everything was, you know, topsy-turvy and the unknowns that were happening and the, the disruptions. And I thought, I'm going to do a series of quilts on Civil War um, people during the Civil War, how it affected them and all. And then when the the racial and civil unrest just came, um, how long has it been? Three weeks, four weeks? Mm -hmm. um, that even brought to home more of this is something I really must do. And, you know, it's just because, again, I'm, I feel like I'm always a storyteller, but I need a photo to... Um, start that story. And, um, I don't know. I just, I am so excited to work on this. I've been gathered. I can't stop doing research. I'm talking to collectors of civil war photos and, and just, I'm going to be visiting battlefields. I've already been to three of them. Can't wait for some of the museums to open up again, but, um, it, they're going to be large fragments, but they will be quilts and they'll have the botanical leaves botanical prints of the leaves from the battlefields because some of those trees were there then mm. like and witnesses yeah, yeah well the, there is a witness tree in uh, maryland one that was standing during one of the battles at antietam at mm. burnside bridge that's a known witness tree wow. and i've got leaves from that i've already done that one because it's so close um but i'm just like I am giddy. And I was thinking, yeah, as soon as the podcast is over, I'm going to go back to the, you know, it's, that's my next project. And I feel like it's something that's been a long time coming. 
but it also brings everything together. So it does. There's um, there's a link there because one of the segments you did on Quilting Arts TV involved my, I want I think he's my great 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 grandfather maybe two or second or third that you right. you actually used as a demonstration on a segment for Quilting Arts TV uh, who was who served in the Civil War he was in a Pennsylvania regiment so if you need a photo I've got I've got a couple of I Civil was going to contact you because yes <laughs> yeah. I know I I did have you know, I saw you post that at one point somewhere, somehow. And I said, could I use that? And that was the first one. And the so, letter, we have that letter that he wrote to his fiance. Remember? Right. Yeah. Yes. We're well, be we are going again. to post, we are going to post those, both of those, if possible sure. on, um, on the show notes for this segment, Great. because I think, yeah. you know, that's, that's just incredible. And seeing, seeing the art that you'd been doing over time, we'll also have an image of the fabrics that you're doing um, because the visuals help. They help me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're going in new directions again. Yes. It's, it's exciting. Thank you so much, Leslie, for being part of this episode for Quilting Arts Podcast. You know, it's it's so fun to connect with our friends. It's so beautiful to see you on the um, on the screen here. I'm going to take a <laughs> screenshot so our friends can actually. Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> screenshot. Did you hear it? <laughs> so um, this will actually be uh, on the podcast uh, show notes as well because it's just sort of fun to see what we're seeing um when when we're doing the podcast but yeah. i really appreciate you for being one of our first guests thank you so much for thinking of me and like you said it's great to see people i've only seen my family and i just began to see them the last couple of weeks so yeah it's yeah. great to see your smiling faces and i hope to see you in person wonderful one talking great. to you thank you so much <laughs> thanks bye-bye What a great conversation. Leslie always has so much insight into how art works and how artists and quilt artists work. Always fascinating to talk to her. It was great. And she you knows she loves quotes. So it's um, apropos that we end again with another quote. This one is by Tom Freston, and he's an entertainment industry executive. He said, a career path is rarely a path at all. A more interesting life is usually a more crooked, winding path of missteps, luck, and vigorous work. It is almost always a clumsy balance between the things you try to make happen and the things that happen to you. Love that last sentence. So yep. true. So true. Act and react. Thanks for listening. Remember, there's lots more information about the things we discussed in this episode, including photos and links on our show notes page. Just follow the link in the description on our website, quiltingdaily.com. If you want to hear episodes as soon as they come out, please subscribe. Just search for Quilting Arts Podcast in whatever app you use, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And when you do, please leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. The Quilting Arts Podcast is a production of Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Vivica Hansen-Denegri, and Susan Brubaker-Knapp. This episode was recorded and edited by Evan Rutherford. And our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.